Hello there. You seem like someone who could use a really good story. Fortunately, here at the Book Emporium at the End of the World, I have the perfect book for you. Let me find it. It's been on my shelves waiting for years. The cover is dark blue with the gold foil stars. Ah, here it is. The Dream Delivery Service. It's a story about dreams, where they come from, and where they go. Would you like me to read it? Well then, let's begin. Prologue If you were to wake early enough, you would discover that there is a moment before the dawn cracks the horizon, when the world is a beautiful, otherworldly gray sitting elegantly on the verge of living. There is a certain static in the air, and the electricity that life is brimming because at any moment the sun will burst colors across the horizon, turning the windows of the houses a kaleidoscope of pinks and oranges, a sudden technicolor sherbet television station. If you were to be awake this early and paying very close attention, you might see the dew settling on the blades of grass or catch a spider curling back into her web. If you happened to be on Magnolia Street at this magical hour, you would observe the tidy row of houses, each with a neat front yard. You would see Mrs. Mara and Mrs. Zinn's peacock wandering through their rose garden. You would see the gruff Mr. Tafferty's red door and neatly mowed lawn. You would see Mr. and Mrs. Deer's front porch with a swing they never use. You would certainly see Mr. Golden's enormous telescope, although its user remains a bit of a mystery. You might even see Miss Honey's cat slinking back after his nightly hunt. And if you are up at this pre-dawn hour, and you did happen to be on Magnolia Street, you might see a boy riding a red bicycle with a wicker basket strapped to the back. He stops at each house, lays his bicycle gently against the fence, and opens the basket. He pulls out a small blue envelope addressed in gold. He places the envelope on the doorstep and smiles. Before any of the residents of Magnolia Street awake, before their coffee pots start to percolate, or their toes fumble for their slippers, he has delivered an envelope to every doorstep, one for each person. And even if you were watching quite closely, you might not notice where he had gone. Chapter 1 Mrs. Mara and Mrs. Zinn Mrs. Mara and Mrs. Zinn are the oldest residents of Magnolia Street. They claim to have been there before the other houses had been built, when the area was still farmland. Before living on Magnolia Street, Mrs. Mara had lived in Paris. Mrs. Mara had been an acrobat in a Parisian circus with her family, Les Merveilleuses Mara. Each day the family of four would practice the trapeze act, and each night they would perform in their glittering spandex leotards under the bright lights of the big top. When she was sixteen, 
tired of the nomadic spirit of circus life, Mrs. Mara ran away. She went into the heart of Paris and walked into the first unlocked front door she found. The family was so engaged in their daily morning routine. The father was eating his toast behind the paper. The son was engrossed in a television program. And the mother was busy packing each of them lunch. Then none of them noticed the young Mrs. Mara when she sat down at the table and helped herself to a slice of bacon. Encouraged that she would no longer be the center of attention as she had been at the circus, she decided to stay. She moved into the empty second bedroom and began attending school with the son, who was a few years younger than she. No one in the family acted as if it was strange that she was there, and each pretended as if she had been there the entire time. In truth, the father secretly worried that perhaps he had briefly forgotten that he had a daughter, and thought it best not to mention this lapse. The mother had concluded much of the same, assuming that all her fretting over which hats were most fashionable this year must have caused her to forget the existence of a daughter. The son knew very well that he didn't have a sister, but he couldn't find a reason to very much care, so he didn't bother correcting anyone's misconception. It was in this fashion that Mrs. Mara enrolled herself in school and finished her teenage years. Once a week she wrote a letter to her family, updating them as to her progress. They wrote back to tell her that they had tried to replace her with a stuffed armadillo, but as the animal did not have opposable thumbs, he was unable to perform all the requirements of an acrobat's duties, and that they missed her terribly. At this point, Mrs. Mara decided that she would like to attend university in the United States. She told the father, who was quite proud that the daughter he had only just remembered having, was interested in studying abroad. He decided her excellent record must have been a result of his strong parenting, although he couldn't quite understand why the son only brought home average marks, and seemed to prefer spending his time watching television. He gladly gave her permission to attend. And so Mrs. Mara found herself at a prestigious university in the United States, with no intention of returning to her adopted family. Mrs. Zinn, on the other hand, grew up in New York, Brooklyn, to be exact. Her family lived in an apartment above a Chinese restaurant. She frequently woke to the smell of dumplings steaming. Mrs. Zinn loved her neighborhood. There was the bodega on the corner owned by the Puerto Rican family, the Indian-owned shop that sold hair extensions and shampoos the Vietnamese woman who owned the liquor store and gave her mildly sweet rice candies on her way home from school. All of it added to the mix of languages, foods, and smells that made her neighborhood an international oasis, despite the fact that she hardly traveled a few blocks from her home. The only trip she took was with her father. Twice a month they took the train to Coney Island, where her father inspected the roller coaster. Afterwards, they would walk along the boardwalk together and throw peanuts to the seagulls. They would have a hot dog each, his with ketchup and hers with spicy mustard. Mrs. Sin loved the salty smell of the ocean and the bright colors of Coney Island. Most of her life, she had assumed that she would take over her father's position as the roller coaster inspector. Her grandfather had been a roller coaster inspector as well and her great-grandfather was well known for his wheeled contraptions that were operated by a series of tracks and pulleys in his yard 
and which were prone to tipping over and depositing their occupants unceremoniously onto the grass. She was surprised, therefore, when her father sat her down the night of her high school graduation and explained that although he loved working on the roller coaster, it was his sincere hope that his daughter would aspire to something else. And so Mrs. Zinn was faced with the first major decision of her life, the decision that most certainly changed the trajectory of her story, and led her to Mrs. Morrow. "'You were lost,' says Mrs. Morrow. "'I was not.' "'Yes, you were,' Mrs. Morrow replies. "'There's still a trace of her French accent, even after all these years.' "'You couldn't find the building with the literature classes. "'I saw you standing in the yard looking back and forth from building to building "'like a hesitant little mouse, and I decided I would help you.' "'Mrs. Sin laughs. "'You were just looking for an excuse to talk to me.' "'Maybe so, but still you were lost.' "'Mrs. Zinn lays the book she is reading across her belly, "'which has grown round and soft over the years. "'She remembers when she was much thinner, before the softness set in, "'before the cosy after-dinner chats and croissant brunches "'that wrapped themselves around her. "'The belly, she decides, is a visible sign of her happiness. "'Mrs. Mara likes to bring up the day that they met. "'She carries it like a charm. "'You were lost,' and I said, can I help you find something? And you said, I'm looking for Deacon Hall, and I told you I was going that way, although I really wasn't, and I walked you right to the door of your classroom. And every day after that. Which was true. They had been inseparable ever since. Two celestial bodies, forever in the other's gravitational pull. Mrs. Mara pours them each a cup of coffee. She takes hers black. But pours a little cream for Mrs. Zinn. I've interrupted, she says, sitting at the table. The truth was that Mrs. Zinn had not been lost that day, at least not in the way Mrs. Mara thought. She had been staring at all the buildings, overwhelmed by the thought of being at such a nice university and missing Coney Island. When she saw Mrs. Mower walking towards her, she had been so struck by her beauty, the curl of her hair, the brightness of her eyes, she knew immediately that the flutter in her chest was love. Throughout the years she learned that love takes many different shapes. There was the excitement love of seeing Mrs. Mower for the first time, restaurant-table love that was anxiously awaiting for her to arrive to dinner, warm-blanket love, there was cuddles and snuggles. And now, donned socks love, of being so at ease with another person, you fit together and warmed each other, not without phrase or wear, but worn with comfort. Let me fetch the dreams, Mrs. Zinn says. She opens the front door. Good morning, Peter, she calls to the peacock. He eyes her haughtily and marches off in the opposite direction. Sitting on the steps are two blue envelopes, one for each of them, addressed in gold ink. Mrs. Zinn carries them inside. She and Mrs. Mara sit across from each other at their little table and open their envelopes. Inside is a cream-colored paper with a dream typed onto it. They read them silently. Mrs. Zinn taps Mrs. Mara under the table with her foot. "'You go first, 
Mrs. Mara smiles. It's such a lovely dream. She begins to read. You are walking down Magnolia Street when you see a large circus tent. Somehow the tent is in the middle of the street and there are lots of people gathered around. You go inside the tent and everything smells like popcorn and cotton candy. Your father calls down to you. You reach up to take his hand on the trapeze. He swings you up and suddenly you realize you are flying. You fly out of the tent, over the town, and across the hills. You land in a field of daffodils. That's quite lovely, Mrs. Zinn says. Now yours, Mrs. Mara replies. Mrs. Zinn clears her throat. <clears throat> you are standing in a beautiful rose garden, like your own, but much larger. You have a watering can, and you must water all of the flowers. As you water them, the blooms open, and they sing to you, all of the flowers singing to you like little birds. Wouldn't it be beautiful if flowers sang? Mrs. Mara interrupts. I'm sorry, continue. Suddenly, you are at the last flower. This flower doesn't open when you water it. You reach out to touch it, and a thorn pricks your finger. Mrs. Inn lowers the paper and removes her reading glasses. It stops there. That's strange, Mrs. Mara replies. Are you sure? Quite. How odd. That wasn't a very nice dream. There are always nice dreams. What do you think it means? Mrs. Inn shakes her head. I don't know. In the many, many years they have lived on Magnolia Street, they have always received pleasant dreams, always in their blue envelopes, and always on the doorsteps by the time they awake. It wasn't a terrible dream, Mrs. Mara says, but she crosses her arms and squeezes herself as if she is cold, but still strange nonetheless. Maybe we should see if anyone else received a strange dream, Mrs. Inn suggests. Mrs. Mara's eyes widen. The truth is that although they have lived on Magnolia Street longer than anyone else, they have never talked to their neighbors. They have seen them, of course, waved an occasional hello, but never truly talked to them. Mrs. Zinn and Mrs. Mara are so perfectly content in each other's orbit that they simply never bother to leave it. Who would we ask? Not that strange man on the corner with the telescope. No, no, not him. Maybe that gentleman across the street. He's been here almost as long as we have. The gentleman across the street is named Mr. Tafferty, and he has lived on Magnolia Street almost as long as they have. And right now, at this very moment, Mr. Tafferty is in his own kitchen, opening his own dream. must stop here for today. I, for one, am very curious about these dreams, and Mr. Tafferty, too. But we will read all about it next time. Until then, stay safe out there. <laughs>